Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community, a spirited community dedicated to the free search and finding of truth and meaning. If you're a visitor here this morning, I extend a special welcome to you. And if you have questions about this church or about Unitarian Universalism, please don't hesitate to ask either me or the people at the visitor table. We'll do our best to help you out. We welcome you here, whoever you are, whomever you love, whatever body you live in. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in everyone. So we greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Let us say together the words by which we light the chalice, which is the symbol of our faith. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Our call to worship this morning is by Santosh Kalwar from his book Adventus. A friend asks, Tell me one word which is significant in any kind of relationship. Another friend says, listen. Sometimes people wonder, since we have people in this room every Sunday and in the church every day of the week, who have their roots and practices in many of the earth's major religions, including earth-based religions, including secular humanism, including staunch atheism, what is it that holds us together? One of the things that holds us together is the mission statement that this church wrote for itself. And we wrote it on the wall and we say it every Sunday. There are other things which hold us together that I'll be talking about in the sermon. But right now, let us say our mission statement together. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Our reading this morning is by Lauren Oliver from a series of books named Delirium, and this is the first in that series, from the book that's first in that series. I've learned to get really good at this. Say one thing when I'm thinking about something else. Act like I'm listening when I'm not. Pretend to be calm and happy when I'm really freaking out. It's one of those skills you perfect as you get older. Now is the time in our service when we breathe deeply together and enter into what our forebear Ralph Waldo Emerson called the wise silence. It is in the silence that we seek clarity, that we seek peace, that we seek wisdom. Let us breathe together in the silence, keeping in mind that in this congregation, small baby noises count as part of the silence. So we got some kind of situation out there, huh, in this election cycle, out there. 
and terrorism is affecting European people, so suddenly it's getting press. Folks feel somehow that they have to choose between saying black lives matter, black folks shouldn't get shot on traffic stops, and, uh, and that we support our law enforcement folks doing a really dangerous job. Why would you have to choose between those two? That's crazy. You have to have fine-tuned ears these days because on the cable news shows, everybody talks at the same time. It's like being at a dinner party after everybody's had lots and lots to drink and they're just... People on both sides act like everybody else has taken leave of their good senses. So in situations like this, in times like these, my friends, we need to go back to basics. And basics for Unitarian Universalist means the principles. We have seven principles that we agree to affirm, meaning say yes to, and promote, meaning actually talk about them in the public arena. We talk every Sunday about what holds us together, and one of the things is our mission, and that is for this congregation. Other congregations have their missions as well, but the whole denomination, the Unitarian Universalist denomination, has seven principles that we all agree on, more or less, because we're Unitarian Universalists, so you have to go, eh. But I believe that a thoughtful commitment to the principles can shape a person's life, can even transform a person's life. And so we're going to take a refreshing deep dive into them this year and see what treasures we can bring up that will help us um, become stronger in our faith and become more spirited people. First, just a tiny bit of history. The principles were adopted in 1960, which is yesterday in church time, and they were adopted because the Unitarians and the Universalists were having a merger. Universalists were a Christian denomination, and the Unitarians were kind of a heady humanist denomination, and they tried to merge. Well, Um, the Universalists said, we really, if we're giving up our creed, we just need something. We need something so that we can say, this is what we do believe. And the Unitarians said, well, yeah, that's a good idea. We don't have creeds, but we can agree on principles. Well, it took them a long time. And the principles were hammered out with passion and fury and compromise And then in the early 80s, the Unitarian Universalist women said, you know what? The language of these principles is very male-centric. There's man, 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 man all the way through here. And we know that when people hear man, they think of a man. And so we want it to be a little more inclusive in its language. And everybody was thinking, oh, no, we have to go through this again. But this time, the process was almost peaceful and they took a really long time, and they were very transparent, and there we have a general assembly of Unitarian Universalists every year, and there was general assembly after general assembly, we call it GA for short. The GAs had votes on these new language for the principles. The language was more inclusive. And I remember when I was first coming into the denomination um, back in the early 90s, 
I got to be at the General Assembly in Charlotte where the last vote on the seventh principle was taken. And it, it made my little Presbyterian pagan heart, um, it's an odd combination. <laughs> Didn't work, that's why I'm Unitarian Universalist. It made my earth-based heart expand with joy to see this denomination vote on a principle that said we affirm and promote the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. I love that one. So, our principles are the result of a lot of committee work. This is how good church work happens. It happens in committees. This is how good political work happens. It happens in committees, not really by decree. It's people getting their brains and their hearts and their bodies together to come up with something together. So the principles are some things, seven things we affirm and we promote, but they're not test of beliefs like a creed. A creed, you can't really take one and say, I agree with this less than the others. A creed, also written by committees, by the way. Did you know that? The creeds were not dropped out of heaven in a plastic bag. They were just made up of committees a longer time ago in the 4th century and the 5th century. So um, many people really enjoy being in a group that recites ancient words together um, and where they can all say, here's what we all believe and look around the room and feel like, yes, we all believe these things. Now, we don't have that. We don't have commandments. We don't have a creed. But we do have the principles which point to, they point to who we want to be. They point to who we who would like to become. They're aspirational. They're not, I believe this and this and this. They're like, I would like to be like this. I would like the world to be like this. It's a vision of the world. And this Unitarian Universalism is like a big house where there are lots of different rooms and you can have lots of different beliefs and practices, but the structure of the house that is a container for our wild community is the principles and our history and our stories of the great deeds of men and women throughout history. And we'll talk about all of that this year. So, in this election cycle... We watch Donald Trump rallies, and we can see in concrete and visible form the behavior of a group of people who would not affirm and promote the same principles that we do. There is a fairly stark difference. A lot of people who read the principles say, oh, that's just so, I mean, they're just so basic. Anybody would believe this. No. No, and in this election cycle, we have the privilege, really, of seeing full-bodied what it looks like not to be living according to these principles. And it's not that the people at a Trump rally would not be welcome here. They would be. They would be welcome here. But it is that if a person is a person who does not... um, have the same values 
that Unitarian Universalists do, they would feel that a lack of fit. You see what I'm saying? They would feel called to a different kind of behavior. I think that the people in the Trump rallies, though, are just like us in many ways. They want safety and security. Who doesn't? Who doesn't want safety and security? They just have a different idea of how to get there. They want to, to have a community of people they understand. And we like having a community of people we understand too, only we have a different way of drawing the circle of that community. I think the principles are, sh are thrown into pretty stark focus these days, and they inform our lives. And I think unless we were raised in Unitarian Universalism, you can remember the first time you read them, and you can remember that feeling of being rung like a bell. You go, oh, yeah, th these are my people. The first principle is the one I'm going to talk most about today. And that is, we agree to affirm and promote the inherent worth and dignity of every person. The inherent worth, unearned worth and dignity of every person. One of the things that I like to do for myself, and therefore I say it out loud to you too, is to pack a little ending onto the end of all the principles, um, just as a challenge. Uh, you know, when you were a little kid and you made yourself get through church services by looking in the hymn books and adding um, in the bathtub to all the hymn titles. So, you know, we get to go, rivers of Babylon, in the bathtub. When the Spirit says do, in the bathtub. It's, it's a way to make it through the sermon. <laughs> so I, I recommend that at the end of each principle, we tack on beginning in our homes and families, our homes and churches, beginning in our homes and in our churches. So we agree to affirm and promote the inherent worth and dignity of every person beginning in our homes and churches. That rubber hits the road right there. Because it's hard. It means, it, here, let me tell you what it doesn't mean first. We get confused sometimes, and we think that we have to affirm and promote the worth and dignity of every idea. That we have to go, mm, I guess that's an okay idea. I guess that has merit. No. We are not called to affirm and promote the worth and dignity of every idea, because some ideas are destructive. And some ideas lead to injustice. And some ideas are just dumb. <laughs> but, I'm sorry I said that out loud. <laughs> so, 
we are called to affirm the worth and the dignity of every person. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't know what it means in every situation, but here's what I know. If you have a thoughtful commitment to the Unitarian Universalist principles as a Unitarian Universalist, what you do in each situation in particular, you think, how would I act in this situation if I were really promoting the worth and dignity of this person? How would I act? Would, I, would it make me speak? Would it make me be quiet and listen? Would it make me smile? Would it make me challenge? What is the most respectful of this person's worth and dignity? So this is not just a principle that says be nice, because be nice is a way of saying sit down and shut up. We don't want to be nice. We want to be good. There's a difference. When you affirm and promote the worth and dignity of every person in our home and in our church, it includes ourselves, so we don't uh, promote everybody else's dignity at the expense of our own. And does this mean uh, letting anybody do everything that they want to do until civilization falls? No, clearly not. Here's a little story. I'm not sure whether this has anything to do with the principle or not. I have a colleague who's a minister in Maine. She's taking a walk in her neighborhood, and in an apartment building down the street, she sees a, a Confederate flag, huge, hanging out of the windows of the apartment on the outside of the building. Just at that moment, a woman comes out of the building walking her dog. They start chatting neighborly. The dog is sniffing my friend. Um, like, that's how dogs act neighborly. And they're just having general, gentle neighborhood chat. And my friend, the minister, says, tell me about that rebel flag up there, that Confederate flag. Do you know anything about that? She says, oh, yeah, it's my boyfriend's. He, he's really proud of being from the South. My friend says, you know, to a lot of people, that is not a symbol of the South, but rather it's a symbol of racism and white supremacy. And it's very hurtful. Um, to quite a few people. And the woman says, oh, well, you know, that's not what he thinks. And they go on. And when she turns around to go back home, the flag is gone. All right. She didn't harangue the person. She didn't hammer or nag anybody. She just gave information. Did it fix the racism? No, probably not. It just took the racism indoors again. It just took it down underground where we're used to it being, pretty much. Um, I'm editing because I want to go off on a tangent here about Longview, Texas. But we're used to it being underground. So it probably didn't work. But I'm going to talk to you about what does work. And I don't like it, and you're not going to like it, because it's hard. What does work is shown to us by uh, researchers at the University of Nebraska. They've been studying liberals and conservatives, looking at their brain function. Now, don't go there, because <laughs> both are equally intelligent and equally stupid. A mix, a mix of people. But 
people who tend to be politically conservative have different involuntary eye motions when they look at certain photographs. They show people photographs of threatening situations like the aftermath of a terrorist bomb or whatever, and lovely situations, a, a marsh with poppies growing out of it, or, you know, uh, somebody's going to come through the line and say, poppies don't grow in marshes. I'm like, okay, stay with me here. The eye movements of people who tend to be conservative are more attuned to threat situations. They react more strongly to threat situations. And they, and I, I'm not going to tell you the whole research because I just preached this sermon about all of it in February or March or so. But they've gotten to where they pretty much can tell <laughs> what somebody's political views are without even talking to them just by looking at the way their eyes move when they look at these photographs. So their theory is that the neurobiology is somewhat different. Now, the conclusion that people are drawing from this is that you are not going to change anybody from a conservative into a liberal by talking. Words, arguments, memes, articles on Facebook, the best evidence in the world of how terrible Hillary Clinton is, is not going to change somebody's mind who is going to vote for her. You know? I'm not promoting anybody voting for anybody. I'm just saying, you got to vote. We vote. This is a spiritual practice for us, by the way. <laughs> You're not going to change anybody's mind by arguing. What changes people's minds? We learn from the FBI negotiator's handbook that what actually has a chance of changing someone's mind is deep listening. Deep listening means that you listen with your whole being. You don't play video games while you're listening to them. You don't watch basketball on TV with the sound turned down while you're listening to them and go, uh-huh, uh-huh. You listen with your whole being. You ask questions for clarification. Not, how could you think that? But, what do you mean? Tell me more. Help me understand. You listen with so much empathy, the FBI negotiator says, that you can get to a place where you really do understand why this person thought they had to take hostages in order to get their point across where you could really kind of see how he got there. So if you're trying to change someone from a conservative to a liberal or from a liberal to a conservative, you have to be willing to listen so deeply and with so much love and empathy and authenticity, can't fake this, that people really feel understood. And so that you are almost to the point where you can see how they care so much about security that they would be willing to give up certain constitutional freedoms in order to achieve security. Or so that you could see so much how they want freedom that they would be willing to give up some of their safety for that. 
it's very hard to listen that way. I keep trying to do it. I'm a trained therapist, for goodness sake. It's really hard when someone starts talking to me, which they do, about how women shouldn't be ministers because God is a man. I have to really want to hear more about that. It's a spiritual stretch. We honor the worth and the dignity of people who are very different from us by being willing to know that they can teach us something if we engage fully with an open heart with them. If we're safe to do so, keep yourself safe. And engage as fully as you can. You can say your piece, like my friend in Maine did. You say your piece while what the I Ching calls it the window of influence. The window of influence is sometimes open, not usually, but sometimes. You say your piece to your child or your parent or your cousin while the window of influence is open. And then you be quiet because they've heard you. If you think your children aren't hearing you when you say your piece to them, next time you start a lecture and they start rolling their eyes, you just go, okay, you give me the lecture. And they can, word for word, really. They they carry you in their hearts. We see so many examples in our world of people not being treated with worth and dignity. And we are called to have a commitment to this principle and to work to dismantle the structures in our society that are opposite to this. We are called to dismantle the structures of ableism and the structures of white supremacy and the structures of patriarchy that are oppressive to both men and women. We are called to build a land, a society, to root ourselves in justice that says everyone has an equal right to live and breathe and make it through a traffic stop without being shot. And if you are thinking that our structures are really not that bad, I would ask you to consider whether you would like to change places with a dark-skinned person if you are a white person. Would you like to change places and change skin colors with them and be treated in the way that a dark-skinned person is treated in our culture? Most people would not want to switch. Most white people would not want to switch. So what we are seeing in this election cycle is a high-status person giving permission to thousands of lower-status people to give voice to the very worst impulses within themselves. The impulses born out of fear and out of worry and out of anger and out of anxiety and out of a deeply bred-in-the-bone white supremacy. 
can we listen to our neighbors and our trainers and our uh, pair people and the people at the grocery store or the people at work who disagree deeply with us? Can we listen? I don't know. I'm going to keep trying. I'll let you know how it goes. Almost no one listens. Just become aware of that. Almost everyone is thinking of what they want to say next when they're listening to you. The uh, picture on the front of the bulletin reminds me. I used to have this mask in my office. I don't know where it is now. She reminds us to shh. Our wisdom and clarity need to tell us when to speak and when to shh. But I feel like I know that for me, uh, the one I need more is this. I'll try to remember. Please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Our benediction is a call and response. I will sing a line and you sing it after me. It's a loving kindness prayer, pretty much. And the first time we say it, thinking about ourselves, the words are, you may be one last spark. We all need to light the whole world. You may be one last spark. We all need to light the whole world. What if you were that one last spark? The next time through, second time out of three, we say it for someone we love. What if they were the one last spark we all needed to light the whole world? Hold them in mind and let's sing it to them. You may be one last spark. We all need to light the whole world. The last time through is the hardest because we sing it for somebody that we really don't like. Very important not to look around at this moment. If you have that person in mind, this is the final exam of this song. You may be, you may be one, last spark. one last spark. We all need, we all need to, light the whole world. to light the whole world. To light the whole world. Let's light the whole world. in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.org.